women's rights in the world. Welcome to Episode 7 of Season 2 from the Women's IP World Annual Podcast, a podcast series that's shining a spotlight on women in intellectual property. I'm your host, Michelle Katz, and I'm the co-founding partner of the law firm Advitum IP, which in Latin means intellectual property for life. We are based out of the U.S. in Chicago. Me and my firm are hosting this podcast on behalf of Northens Media PR and Marketing Limited, based out of the U.K. in London. They are the publishers of the Women's IP World Annual and the Global IP Matrix magazine. The 2022 edition of the Women's IP World Annual can be found digitally at www.womensipworld.com. Again, that's www.womensipworld.com. And you can listen to the annual as well on your favorite podcast app. Now that many IP conferences are back in person, Keep an eye out for hard copies as well. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Claudia Kaya, Director of Norman IP in Switzerland. Thank you for joining me today, Claudia. Uh, Hi, Michelle. Uh, I have to thank you for the nice invitation, and it's a big pleasure to participate in your podcast for today. Thank you so much. And we had the opportunity to chat beforehand, so it's been really nice to get to know you so far, and I look forward to what we're going to learn in today's session. Um, So I understand that you're a native German speaker. You also speak English and um, Turkish. Your bio says, you know, practically as a native, which to me, that's, I mean, that's incredible, three languages as a native speaker. Can you tell us the background of how you've come to know these three languages so fluently? Okay, yes. Uh, as you said, uh, I'm a native German. And uh, after my studies, I moved uh, to Turkey and stayed for more than 25 years in Turkey uh, with my Turkish family, my Turkish husband. And uh, that's the reason why I'm uh, as fluent as a native in Turkish also. And of course, English is uh, the language of our business. So uh, yeah, I'm a long time in the business and I hope that my English is as fluent as my long business practice. Oh, well, it sounds perfect to me. Um, So are your parents Turkish or one of your parents Turkish? Um, No, actually not. My my parents are German. I get to know my husband in my studies when I studied chemical engineering and so we were one of the couples which mar- uh, who married very, very early, just doing the studying still. And, and we decided to uh, go to Turkey just after our finishing our studies. And that was, of course, very early. We were very young. And then I started my career as a chemical engineer in our uh, own chemical company. And so it was uh, me to talk and to learn Turkish very quickly. So that's the reason why I'm uh, very fluent in Turkish. Oh, wow. So really, Turkish is the language of love for your family, huh? Yes, definitely. (laughs) 
Wow. Okay. So that's wonderful. And so you mentioned um, chemical engineering, and I know you you come from a, a family of um, of members with you know science backgrounds, medical backgrounds. How did you get into chemical engineering? Uh, actually, as uh, you just mentioned, my family uh, is a family of uh, we love science, so we have a lot of surgeons in my family, and a lot of engineers. And I was on the engineering side, and also, of course, due to family tradition, I um, focused on medical engineering, uh, which was really very, very interesting, and which I after my long uh, experience of working as an engineer, can now practice in IP a lot. So, and so that's interesting because I feel like with engineering and, you know, chemical engineering specifically, there's a lot of directions you could go with a career and you decided to go towards IP. What led you to that path? Uh, it was actually quite interesting. So uh, when I started uh, working after my master's in chemical engineering, our uh, we were the Turkish branch uh, of an international uh, chemical uh, group change or a chain of uh, companies. And we uh, used to work with a special formula, which was, of course, protected and uh, let's say it was a special know-how and it was a trade secret and I was responsible for keeping this trade secret and uh, also the special formula which we are working with. So that was actually the start of uh, getting into IP uh, like, let's say, an in-house council in uh, the chemical um, company. And um, after due to some uh, private and family changes, uh, I uh, started to get in private praxis for IP. So um, this is the reason how I stepped into uh, the IP world. Yeah, because you were dealing with trade secrets on a daily basis and how to maintain, keep secret, all, all the checking all the boxes there to, to maintain the secrets. Then did you... Um, did you evolve or expand into the patent area then um, when you started in more law firm type of practice? Uh, yes, definitely. Because, uh, of course, I have the technical background mm-hmm. and I worked, as you said, on a daily basis with uh, the know-how, the trade secret and royalties and licensing in 36 countries all over the world when we uh, had our specific uh, chemical formula uh, for our production. And then when I stepped in private practice, of course, I started with the patent area because of my engineering and I had a very broad range of technical background. Um, But very quickly, actually, I was also uh, very much interested in trademarks and um, Due to my boss, which uh, whom I was working at this time, uh, we started to get internationally uh, involved in all the uh, very great conferences we have in our IP branch. And um, so, yes, uh, then I get uh, involved in patents, trademarks and uh, designs. 
And when we'll be talking a little bit later, your your article relates to trademarks, actually. So you've got this, you know, heavy science background, and yet due to interest, um, you know, exposure through the intellectual property firm, you were able to learn and um, become an expert in the trademark area as well. Um, yeah, actually, um, might be I have to say that I studied also afterwards uh, interior architecture and design and de- decorations, um, where you know, especially in interior decoration and designs, you have to you deal a lot of uh, with trademarks. So this was actually a nice basis for getting more and more involved in trademarks and. So due to my colleagues and the company I was working in, um, we get a lot of uh, seminars and uh, afterwards uh, education so that I uh, seem or I consider, I assume that I'm now really uh, very well uh, educated also for trademarks. Absolutely. Wow. What a what an impressive background and so interesting, Claudia, that your you, your interests have delved you so deep into IP and, and various aspects of IP. It's it's really wonderful and so interesting your background. I um wanted to ask you with as a director of Dorman IP in Switzerland, what are some of your responsibilities? Uh, actually, my responsibilities are to uh, coordinate uh, our international clients. So as I'm uh, working since a long time in our international business, so it's now uh, also, uh, of course, very important to coordinate our international clientele. And um, in Switzerland, we uh, are pleased to have uh, some big portfolios uh, which have also international interests and and so I'm I'm just coordinating this with trademark and patents and uh, uh, I'm happy to say that uh, I'm working in a team uh, of long-standing friends and so we have a very uh, nice uh, working uh, habitation, so we uh, are able to discuss most of our uh, issues as we have with clients uh, in turn, and we are very transparent and um, supporting each other in with our skills in in a very nice way. So I'm really very pleased to say this. <laughs> How long have you been with Dorman IP? Uh, actually, so Dorman IP is very new ba- uh, founded, uh, but I have been working with the general law firm of Dorman since six years. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and um, so I, uh, I'm i in very good relationship and friendship with uh, the founder, with Markus Dorman. Uh, who is uh, attorney at law and uh, highly experienced for trademarks also. And so we decided, uh, actually, a long time ago, we were in discussions that we should uh, create our own uh, IP team for uh, the lot of startups companies which are uh, based in the area of Zug. 
and and so this was the reason why uh, we uh, came at least to the decision to uh, found Dorman IP. And um, thanks to Good's long-standing friends, they joined us uh, very quickly uh, as a team. And now we are, uh, let's say, an IP boutique uh, office with um, big capacity. Uh, capacity because um, all of our colleagues have are uh, high skilled and uh, we very well um, let's say um, can assist each other and add each other uh, knowledge and information and experience thanks for sharing all that with us Claudia I don't want to um miss out on our conversation on social media. So what, let's take a, a quick break and then we'll talk about your recent article in a moment. Thanks. Have you started your marketing campaign plans for 2023? Are you interested in highlighting your services to the global IP community? Have you ever thought about publishing thought leadership content to build confidence with your industry peers? Why not consider the Global IP Matrix magazine in your 2023 marketing expansion plans? Our print, digital and non-intrusive audio formatted magazine is published only three times per year to give you, our client, the best possible exposure at a minimum of eight global intellectual property conferences and event seminars per issue. We publish 3,000 copies per issue and have built solid relationships with the likes of Inter, Ector, Marks and AIPPI, plus many more important IP event organizations internationally, to give our clients the best possible exposure in the correct physical IP social environments. We market our publications like no other industry magazine. We are the only IP magazine on the market that is published in a non-intrusive audio format, so you can listen whilst you work on your favorite mobile app. So, benefit from international exposure at IP events worldwide, continuous marketing of your services throughout the year, and working side by side with a passionate team that will work hard to shine the spotlight on your business and services like no other in the global IP community. The clients that are working with us now are the clients that have stuck with us since our launch back in 2018. Contact us today for an informal chat about your IP law firm or IP business, and let's discuss how we can work together. Call plus 44-0203-813-0457 or email info at gipmatrix.com www.gipmatrix.com The Global IP Matrix Magazine. Connecting you with the global IP community. Welcome back. Okay, so let's di let's dive in. Um, your article in the 2022 edition of the Women's IP World Annual, page 47, for those that um, have it nearby or want to check it out later. Uh, the article is trademarks and social media. You know, it's it's funny. We I was um, talking with um, the kids about um, something, and we were but it was back some time. And uh, my eldest, who's who's now 17, you know, social media didn't even exist. And now, you know, how quickly in a short amount of time, relatively speaking, social media has become so vital, right, to connect people to other people, to connect 
people to businesses and vice versa. And it used to be in business, right? You had to have a website. I would say, you know, you know, have to have a website. Um, but now, you know, depending on your business, maybe that's not so mandatory, but maybe you have to be on Instagram or LinkedIn or Twitter, talk, TikTok, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, so I, it feels to me like there's been a real shift. When you were researching and putting this article together about trademarks and social media, what, what, were, what, what were the things that stood out to you? Uh, actually, just as you say, um, it was not so, uh, some years ago, social media was not so important as it's now. And uh, especially um, due to the COVID uh, years, uh, I think even social media exploded uh, uh, much, much more. So um, as when I was researching on for this article and also my impression uh, when I talked to my my children who all of them are grown ups and of course all of them are in some of these uh, platforms and social media. Uh, so I, I think it's more and more important and especially. Um, a lot time uh, in a special generation and the younger generation, uh, a lot of time is spent on social media in specific markets. We know all these influencers which uh, who are now uh, uh, gaining a lot of uh, money by being influencer and um, there are a lot of reasons for people to use different platforms uh, for products, for uh, uh, buying or selling products. So uh, I think there's uh, now for all of the pro uh, products, um, there is, of course, it's uh, also trademarks are measured by um, the reputation and the recognition of the con consumers. And... Um, this is uh, there is a big role in social media because uh, we know influencers uh, help or assist big trademarks to sell their marks to get their trademarks their brands more and more uh, well known and everybody uh, looks now on on a platform. Uh, to be more and more informed about the product before using it. So uh, I think in social media, especially in the last, let's say, four to three years, uh, is really uh, the importance of this social media is increasing more and more. And when we think of back to COVID and lockdown, I mean, I had I had a full house, you know, but a lot of people didn't. And social media probably was a way to connect uh, more than ever before since we couldn't see our friends, um, you know, family in person. And then even when it comes to buying, I mean, we couldn't necessarily just freely go to the store. Uh, so, you know, online purchasing became critical to having, you know, what you need in your household. Um, you know, whether you're a single person or you're, you know, a, a house full of, you know, pets and kids. So the explosion 
right? As you said, of um, social media. I mean, COVID really, I think, propelled it. Uh, it was like a was like a it's like a catalyst, you know, um, that led to you know how we're living today and how important um, social media has become, you know, to our daily lives. You know, just in terms of having our basic necessities, but also the the connection to other people. I mean, we're st- even though we're now in person more often, we're still so connected to social media. Um, definitely, uh, I definitely agree to you, uh, especially in, in the time the last two years of COVID. Uh, social media really exploded in its in its importance, and. Uh, I also can give an example. As you said, people, uh, I have also a crowded home, but uh, a lot of people were alone at home and really were only dependent on social media to get in connection with other people and to uh, order uh, their uh, issues which they need for their daily life. Uh, So actually, um, I... As I mentioned before in my talk, our talks, our chat, uh, I'm already a grandmom and uh, we have uh, two little babies now as grandchildren. And one of these babies was just born in the COVID time. And uh, so my daughter, of course, couldn't go out of, uh, leave the home. And, and uh, so we had to uh, chat in FaceTime uh, and use FaceTime. And I saw my uh, second grandchild uh, the first time after his birth when he he was uh, one year old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, um, and we just thought um, uh, that he wouldn't recognize me, but it was so nice that, uh, that it, even when I saw him the first time, uh, physically, um, he was like being used to my to my person. So I think this was one of the most uh, impressive uh, evidence uh, in 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 my uh, COVID time. Uh, on the other hand, COVID was not uh, so extremely for me as for a lot of. Uh, people all over the world because I'm living in a rural area we could step out even though we had lockdown and we could just go out of the door and go to the forest for a walk or something else but again I think social media is so important and it stays now important especially um, also now we are talking uh, via uh, digital platform and um, so it's still that also we are working a lot of more hybrid now, more home office and, and not as just before COVID, uh, more being in the office. So this is also thanks to digital life and that we can do this. Well, and I have to tell the listeners who, who might not know what you look like, Claudia, that, that she has red hair. Okay, so her grandchildren are going to recognize her, whether they only met on digital platform or um, and then in, in person. There was no mistaking it was you, Grandma, right? <laughs> There's no way. Um, 
Okay, so we we do talk, uh, you know, a lot about you know our perspective as individuals. But what about as business owners, right? Because this is we had people um, who maybe owned a mom and pop type shop, or even the the you know maybe a more established, well known brand that then needed uh, to maybe it's hybrid. Maybe they maintained the 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 mom and pop shop the physical location, or maybe they closed, or maybe they did both and they just, they reduced the, if it's a bigger company, right? They may have closed some of the physical stores, um, but then, you know, improved the, the capacity to buy online, right? So then they need to transfer the brand, right? From that storefront feel and, you know, tags on clothes to, to social media, um, you know, you know, like and improve perhaps their the website access, but a lot of businesses turn to social media, right? So then they needed to transfer their their marks um, and use their marks in a different way online in 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 the various uh, social media platforms. So obviously there needs to be a strategy, right? I mean, as lawyers, right? We're working with a client, and we need to build a strategy. So what is the strategy you would recommend talking to a client who is um, either creating something brand new and using the social media platform or, um, you know, from a mom and pop, you know, physical storefront to online? What do you recommend? Um, so uh, definitely this is a, a, a problem which uh, sh- uh, should be solved with a good strategy and there it's so important that uh, just from the very very beginning you are getting uh, on the platform you have in before uh, protected your rights you have to uh, take your protection as a trademark uh, as a design very uh, secure and um, you should of course monitor your trademarks and your brands because uh, you know there are a lot of infringers and in social media uh, it's not easy to follow up and and to monitor your trademark so it's uh, so important to protect your rights to get under protection before you get uh, on the platform. So what are some of the ways um, that we can suggest to our listeners to do that? Uh, it's definitely when you go uh, on social media, at first you uh, should um, uh, get the consulta- the consultants of an attorney uh, who could... Uh, work with you a strategy for protecting and for being on the secure side with your brand. So uh, you should have uh, really active rights and not uh, uh, just uh, trusting on your well-known uh, brand. Uh, so you have really to protect the right to make a strategy, how to monitor and to follow up with, uh, you should uh, take your domains and uh, also your design protection. And, and then you can go uh, secure on social media, but still you have to follow up and to monitor your brand. 
Right. Because you might put things in place, right? Maybe you've filed your trademarks um, in various jurisdictions. Uh, you've uh, perhaps you've, um, you know, uh, you've got that secure and you've got, okay, um, you know, you've, you've registered, you know, you've created the various handles on the, on the platforms, but it's not enough, right? We need to, you need to monitor, right? And see what's the other activity. Yes. I mean, the social media is just boom. It's just booming, right? There's so many, you know, millions and millions of people on social media and someone could easily create something similar, right? It doesn't take a lot to, to when you create the handle, right, to, to create something that might sound similar to yours. So you also need to scour, right? Have either your attorneys or a, or a company or you yourself to, to scour and see, are there other accounts that are too similar to yours and are doing something too similar to what you're offering? Definitely, absolutely. Uh, because when you go on the social media, you uh, you have to protect your authenticity, your character, your reputation, because uh, you tell your brand is telling the, your own story on the uh, social media. And as you said, you have, of course, monitor in which uh, jurisdictions uh, you want to be in the market and you are active in the market because uh, when you are on social media, you are everywhere. And um, this is uh, might be the most, uh, the biggest challenge uh, when you go with your brand on social media because uh, then you are open for everybody and you have very well uh, to very well established at first a strategy where you really want your protection and where in which market it might be not so important for you and linking you know understanding the link between your customers and where and how they want to shop right so you mold your your content to that, right? To the your advertising and marketing to lead them to where you are, right? How can they they find you? And that that is a the transitional key transitional piece for those um, in particular that have that have are leveraging social media where perhaps prior they were they were storefront, you know, physical storefront. Yes, absolutely. So it, it's really a big challenge. Uh, so all the uh, positive uh, uh, impacts which we have uh, through social media, of course, there are also a lot of um, negative impacts uh, which we have to monitor and, and which we have to immediately uh, change and turn to positive and measuring and positive engagement. So it, it's really a challenge and it's a really big challenge for monitoring and following up uh, what's going on. In particular, and you might have situations where, you know, when you're talking about in the hashtag environment and some use might look like infringing, um, some use might not. Um, but in some case, there are going to be unscrupulous people who are trying to lure people to them by using your mark in the guise of a hashtag because some hashtag use is allowed. Uh, 
even if it's not your mark. And at least in the U.S., the uh, jurisdictions are heavily divided on on that particular point. So it can be difficult to, well, your own usage, of course, you want to make sure that you're using hashtags in a proper way. And there is some monitoring that goes on with the various social media platforms, but there's, you know, plenty of misuse of hashtags online, don't you think? Um, yes, definitely. There are numbers of these cases uh, where uh, unscrupulous people use hashtags in their social media. Uh, it's, uh, of course, you have to have the policy to follow them up and to go, uh, the trademark owners should go to expert counsel. Uh, who will follow up and do a proper research. And, uh, of course, there is also arising a lot of court cases. It, it's, um, as I say, it's sometimes not very easy to follow up and a lot of court cases uh, reach for a long time and still uh, the your brand is used in a way you might not be very fond of it. Um, but of course, it's always um, a case where you have to use expert lawyers, uh, expert um, uh, opinions, um, which then you can go to the court and follow up and close these uh, unscrupulous users down. But um, this is not very easy, of course. Everybody of us know this, but uh, it's the only way where you can stop infringers. Many of these platforms have their own enforcement uh, takedown procedures. So that's also something to look into um, for someone who's experiencing these or if you're advising a client. The the article that you put together, you know, Trademarks and Social Media, Claudia, it's really great. I encourage people to check it out. Again, it starts on page 47 of the annual. And it has a lot of recommendations in here, a lot of bullet points, which would be really helpful also for attorneys who are advising clients as we do on some of the issues, things to look out for, recommendations. So I highly encourage everyone to check out this article. Um, we've actually come to time already, Claudia. I told you right beforehand, it goes really quick. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Time is passing so quickly. And it's so nice to chat with you uh, on this topic. So thank you so much, Michelle. Well, thank you for joining me today. And to our listeners, please like, follow, share with your friends and colleagues, but also feel free to send comments and questions. We do read them. And I want to wish everyone a uh, happy holidays to all. Take care, everyone. Thank you very much, Michelle. And I also would like to thank you very much for this nice uh, invitation. And of course, wishing you happy holiday season. And also thanks to Carlos to uh, get connected each other. So happy Christmas and a happy new year. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Women's
You have been listening to the Women's IP World Annual Podcast, hosted by Michelle Katz from Advitum IP in Chicago, on behalf of Northern's Media PR and Marketing Limited.